Good morning, church. <laughs> it is okay to not be okay, amen? Amen. It's good to be with you. It always is. I love it. Uh, this past month, I don't know about you, but it seems rather a blur to me. I can't get over that it's December, um, but life is crazy, and life is often hard, right? Amen. That's never going to change, but nor does God's faithfulness ever, ever change. And neither do the fundamentals. No, whether we're talking about mathematics or architecture or science or God's word, the fundamentals never change. That's why we have this football up here every week, just to remind us of that and to help us to stay focused right where we need to be. So I've said it before, and I will say it again, no doubt, that Jesus is a masterful teacher. I've read the Sermon on the Mount like you, no doubt, many times, but I can say without hesitation that this deep dive that we've been doing through Matthew 5 through 7 has been more illuminating and transformative for me than ever before. It's hard to pick a favorite aspect uh, or part of his sermon, but one thing that I love is how Jesus just so effortlessly and power, powerfully moves from, from one thing to the next. You know, every new topic building or flowing seamlessly from the last, giving us what is probably the most comprehensive exposition of the Christian life that we have available to us. So we wrapped up chapter 6 verses 1 through 18. It's kind of a little mini-series. We wrapped it up last week. And Jesus' driving message was this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he was addressing this ever so subtle yet powerful temptation to show off and take pride in doing all the things that good Christians do. And though it could be applied to any number of things, he specifically used the examples of giving, praying, and fasting. It's so easy for us to get sloppy in those things. And as we've seen all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again made it clear that as we walk out our faith and do what we are very much expected and commanded to do, no matter what it is that we're doing, our motivation, what's going on in our hearts matters. But what about all the non-religious stuff that we do? What about the normal everyday cares and responsibilities of life that everybody has? How are we to think about money, possessions, jobs, food, drink, ambition? What does all of that have to do with our faith? How does my citizenship in the kingdom of God inform those things? Well, we've been reminded the past several weeks that God is present all the time and everywhere. He sees and knows everything that we do, whether we want him to or not. We are gravely mistaken if we believe that God really only pays attention to and cares about the religious stuff. As Christ followers, everything we do, going to work or school, cooking dinner, doing the laundry, mowing the grass, working out, every single bit of our lives is lived in the presence of God. And everything is to be done for his glory. God is just as concerned about the religious part of our lives as he is about the secular part. Quite frankly, 
There is no difference to him. It is all the same. Before we go any further, I read the scripture passage. Let me pray. Lord, my prayer is that you would guide us by your word and your spirit. That in your light we may see light. In your truth find freedom and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So our scripture passage this morning, we're continuing on in Matthew chapter 6. It's verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So though it may seem like it at the outset, the issue that Jesus is addressing in these verses is not wealth, primarily. He just got done talking about what our hearts seek and why. We can either seek the praise and the admiration of the people around us, or we can seek to please and be rewarded by the one who sees what we do in secret. He made it clear that we can have one or the other, but we cannot have both. We need to choose. And it seems to me that Jesus is just reinforcing here that it makes no sense whatsoever to work for the rewards or the treasures of this world rather than what he can and will give us in the next when we seek his glory and his alone. Just like in the immediately preceding verses, Jesus makes it clear in our passage from this morning that we must choose. During this life here on earth, what are we going to love the most? Because who or what we love the most will necessarily set the course and conditions of our lives. Like we've seen him do before, he fleshes this idea out in three different ways or choices, leaving no room for misunderstanding. So first, we have to choose between two treasures, one here on earth or one in heaven. Second, we have to choose where we'll set our focus, on covetousness and greed or on generosity. And third, we'll talk about it next week, We'll look at the last choice. We must choose between two masters, our stuff or God, because we cannot serve both. So choice number one, all the stuff we can accumulate here on earth in this life or all the treasure that we can accumulate in heaven. Here again, Jesus' admonition do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So material wealth was very, very important to the people of Israel because it was often understood to be the evidence of God's favor and blessing. It was, they believed, God's reward for their right living. And I think we really don't differ all that much from those first century Jews listening to Jesus that day, Christian or not. We've likely all been tempted at one time or another to believe that more is better. Upward mobility in every arena is the steadfast and yet often elusive goal of our society. Nicer cars, bigger houses, more clothes, better vacations, certainly these things are all evidence that we're doing something right and God must be pleased with us. I think we need to be very, very careful with that line of thought. I don't know if there is a more urgent word needed for the church in America right now. Without even realizing it, we can be consumed by materialism, by worldliness. It can be so subtle, but so very pervasive. Jesus actually spoke about money more than he did about heaven and hell combined. Likely because he knew the powerful temptation that it presents. The love of money and the accumulation of wealth for selfish gain is very much and often cautioned against in the scriptures. Let me say loud and clear. Wealth in and of itself is not wrong or bad. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. We just need to be very careful how we think about it. And how attached we get to it. Ultimately, the fact of the matter is, is that treasure here on earth, no matter what it is, simply will not last. It is only ever temporary. That's what Jesus captures when he says that here on earth, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So moth and rust represent the same thing, really. Just that all that we have is bound to deteriorate, to be destroyed, and to corrode. Change and decay comes to everything around us, whether we see it or not, whether we like it or not. Everything, everything in this world is going to perish I mean, think about it. The minute you pick a flower, it begins to wilt. The minute you build a house, it starts to fall apart. The minute you clean your car, it just gets dirty again. The minute we're born, we're inevitably then headed towards sickness and death. Tattoos fade, Botox breaks down, joints ache, skin sags, markets crash. I could go on and on. It is inevitable. However wonderful or beautiful or glorious a thing or a person may be for a minute, it's not going to last. Guaranteed. Moth and rust destroy the treasures of this earth. Every last one of them. And thieves break in and steal In a very literal sense, that was far more of a reality for first century Palestine 
uh, than in our world. It was very difficult to keep homes and treasure secure. Nothing was safe in the ancient world. And even though we have access to pretty sophisticated security systems, let's not let the principle be lost on us. There are many thieves in this life. There's almost always something threatening right around the corner. Illness, injury, job loss, relational betrayal, natural disaster, economic collapse, death itself. No matter what our treasure is in this world, something's going to take it from us. Even if we manage to hold on to it all the way to the very end, we can't take it with us when we die. Job's analysis was correct. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return to nothing. Some kind of thief always finds a way to break in and steal our earthly treasures. But again, here's the tricky thing. Jesus is not forbidding that we have money, even a lot of it. He is not disdaining our stuff. He's not warning against being good stewards even by saving and preparing wisely for our futures. He's not even scolding us for enjoying any of these things. Remember, wealth is not the primary issue here. Wealth in and of itself is neither good nor bad, right or wrong. The issue here is what we allow to ultimately captivate our hearts. I couldn't help but think of David's sermon last week. What do we want more, the gifts or our God who gives all of them to us? I can't remember who it was, and I didn't even take the time to look it up. But somebody once said that our hearts are like idle factories. We just keep on manufacturing idol after idol after idol. When we don't want the giver more than the gifts, or in the language of these verses, when our hearts don't guard as their supreme treasure the king and his kingdom, then we will make idols out of anything and everything else. And the thing with idols is that they're usually not bad things. And that's what often makes them so hard to recognize, right? Everything God gives us, he gives us to enjoy and to use for his glory. Our homes, our jobs, our cars, our families, our health, fill in the blank. But the problem is when we take any one of those good things and we make them God things, when we make those things our treasures, then they become idols. And that's a very bad thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be all wrapped up. So do you see the danger of making the stuff of this world where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal what our hearts treasure most? Because what happens then when those treasures are destroyed? 
or when they're taken from us. Because they will be destroyed and they will be taken from us. You can be guaranteed of that. You've seen it happen in other people's lives. You've likely even seen it happen in your own. We're lost. We're devastated. We don't know anymore our sense of purpose, our identity, where and what is our hope. I can't help but step out of the text here for a minute in order to help us all wrestle with this personally because we need to. Our hearts are idle factories and sometimes we don't even know what they're producing. <laughs> That's the reason, no doubt, that God had Proverbs 4 Verse 23, penned, and he commanded all of us to guard our hearts, for they are the wellspring of life. One of the things I would encourage you to do this week as you consider these verses is to just get real honest with yourself. What treasures in your life are you most terrified of losing? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a place or a position. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's that retirement fund. Whatever that thing or person may be, what you're treasuring, whatever that thing or person is, that may be what you're treasuring more than the treasures of heaven. Jesus urges us, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves don't break in and steal. For where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Treasures in heaven, they're utterly and eternally incorruptible. It never corrodes. It can never be lost or stolen. Not ever. The Apostle Peter rejoices in one of the letters that he wrote to the church that we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. I would imagine if you're like me, you want to know exactly what that is, right? What is it? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I know that it is better, it is more than we could ask or imagine. We can be confident that, at the very least, part of the reward that Jesus urges us to seek in the preceding verses that we just came through is included in those treasures of heaven. Our growth in faith, which leads to obedient and sacrificial living for the good of those around us. Our willingness to introduce others to Jesus perhaps even at our own peril or persecution, the use of our money and possession for kingdom purposes, we can know for sure that anything we do here on earth that is meant to glorify Christ and Christ alone stores up eternal treasures for us in heaven. I'm telling you, when we give and use everything we've been given by God for his kingdom, there is no safer investment, no greater return, the dividends will be immeasurable and everlasting. I would be remiss if I didn't measure or mention the greatest treasure of all, an eternity spent with Jesus. 
An eternity that starts right here and now because he is, as we are celebrating, Emmanuel, God with us. Right here, right now, all the time, everywhere. Is there any greater reward, any greater treasure worth more than enjoying now and being forever in the presence of glory and life and light? Is Jesus your treasure? Do you hunger for him more than you hunger for anything or anyone else on this planet? Do you long for his glory and his will to be done more than you long for anything else? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus is my treasure, I can lose anything and everything else but still be okay. I don't want to miscommunicate. I'm not saying that life is not very difficult at times and very, very painful. There will be hardship, grief, and sorrow with all kinds of loss, absolutely. That's inescapable in a world like ours. But ultimately, if Jesus is our treasure, our lives and our faith won't be shaken. Because when Jesus is our treasure, everything and everyone else are in their proper place. So what do you choose? The rotting and temporary treasures of this world or the indestructible treasures promised us in heaven as a reward for lives lived in and through and for Jesus alone? Choice number two. Where are you going to focus your eyes in this life? And that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, the eye of, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Obviously, this is a metaphor, and it's a good one. Biblically, to set your heart was the same as fixing your eyes on something. It was a matter of focus and attention. So for example, the psalmist in Psalm 119 prays, turn my eyes away from worthless things. I mean, the psalmist wasn't talking about constantly darting his eyes here and there so that he never really looks at anything. That's, that's not at all what he was saying. It's that he didn't want his heart to be captured to be captivated by them. He didn't want the worst, worthless things around him to consume his heart's desires. Whatever we allow to capture our vision, whatever we set our sights on, is going to affect the course of our entire lives. A healthy eye, or one that is full of light, is an eye that isn't attracted to wealth, it's generous and ready to part with it and use it for the good of others. Conversely, a bad eye is one that is covetous and greedy. It sees the stuff of this world and it wants it all. A bad eye is metaphorical for a heart that wants what it wants, when it wants it, and it will stop at nothing to get it. A heart that isn't content unless it has as much stuff of this world as it can get. When that's the condition of our hearts, 
when that's the focus of our eyes, how great is the darkness in us. Metaphorically speaking, a healthy, generous eye, one that isn't focused on the accumulation of material wealth, is a source of light. An evil, unhealthy, covetous eye is a source of darkness. On what have you set your sights? Who or what captures your attention and has become the focus of your life? According to Jesus here, it matters very much. So the band is going to come up. Jesus has cut to the heart once again, hasn't he? Don't you wish sometimes he would just kind of lay off the gas pedal a little bit? Because it's hard to catch our breath after he just keeps hitting it hard. We have much to consider. I very much encourage you to take time and read these verses today and throughout this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he wants you to see. I love it when we're able to set our response time around communion. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper, he urged them to examine their hearts before they ate the bread or drank the cup so that they did not take part in it, in the Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner. And that's exactly what we need to do as well. If we say with our mouths that we treasure Jesus, but we devote ourselves and our best energy to laying up treasures on this earth, if we say we love Jesus more than anything else, but our eyes are focused and our hearts are captivated by a continual desire for more and more of the stuff of this world, How can we really eat the bread and drink the cup in a manner worthy of the Lord who gave up everything in order that we might be saved, who treasured most the glory of his Father in order that we could be rescued out of death and darkness? It's not that we have to come to the table perfect, not at all. We come to the table precisely because we are not. We come to the table because we're fully aware of our desperate need for the cleansing blood of Christ. But we must come to the table honestly in humble repentance of anything that we have placed before Christ. We must come to the table broken by our sin, laying aside our idols so that we can treasure Jesus most. The band's actually going to sing the chorus of that last song we sang right before the message. But rather than sing along, I I encourage you to simply listen. You may recall that the first line was, light of the world, treasure of heaven. That's who we celebrate this Advent and Christmas season. Jesus The light of the world came to earth and penetrated its darkness for us. Jesus, the treasure of heaven, was broken for us. Jesus, the light of the world, died. He poured out his blood for us. Who or what do you treasure most? Where have you set your eyes? It matters. 
At Christmas, we often look to the manger, and that's good. But we cannot and we must not without also looking to the cross. Because that is precisely why Jesus came to the manger to be slain for you and me. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup in just a few moments, may each and every one of us do so with hearts overflowing with gratitude for all he's done. And may we come to treasure and fix our eyes on Jesus more than we ever have before.